On the show today, I'm joined by two very exciting guests, both of whom are at attendance at Oz Comic Con, Adelaide and Perth. First up, it's Arthur Darville, best known for his work on Doctor Who and Legends of Tomorrow. Then, by Clive Stanton, who's best known for his work on Vikings and as the new Brian Mills in Taken. All that and more on today's Talk To Me. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Benjamin Man McKay's Talk To Me. I'm your host, Benjamin, and joining me on the show today are two wonderful guests, Arthur DeVille and Clive Stanton. Both hail from the UK and are here in Australia as part of Oz Comic Con. Oz Comic Con runs uh, today and tomorrow at the Adelaide Showgrounds and was in Perth last weekend. Uh, Oz Comic Con will also have a fantastic lineup of guests in other cities, including Melbourne and Sydney, later in the year. Now, first up, I sit down to chat with Arthur DeVille about some of his incredible work, especially his work outside of Legends and Doctor Who. He talks about his musical theatre career, working with Jason Robert Brown and Samantha Barks. Enjoy. Well, welcome to the show. Thank Thank you for joining me today. Now, what inspired you to pursue a career in performance? Um, What inspired... I always thought that I um, got my inspiration from watching... From watching things, and, and it came from you know from from within me. But actually, it did. But because my parents are both performers, uh, they have been a kind of constant inspiration, and also exposed me to a lot of stuff when I was a kid. Mm. Uh, and I was always like, no, no, I didn't. I'm not following in their footsteps. I'm doing my own thing. Whereas actually, I'm totally following in both of my parents' footsteps, and have a lot to uh, blame them and thank them for. Uh, so yeah, so my mom is. Uh, an actor and a puppeteer. She did a lot of puppeteering when I was uh, a kid. Um, and she's still acting. She's just joined the BBC radio company and she's doing a lot of um, radio stuff with them. So she's doing great. My dad's a musician and he's um, he was on tour with like Fine Young Cannibals and Ruby Turner and people when I was a kid. So um, I've always been around it. And so it's it's kind of just what I've always... Uh, what I've always done from like copying my mum's puppet shows in our living room when I was you know four years old to you know I then went to youth theatre and drama school and all that I feel like Avenue Q would be a logical step for you at some yeah point maybe yeah years. that might that might be great I love that show now um <laughs> you have talked a lot about Legends of Tomorrow and Doctor Who while you've been in Australia mm. so here we're going to talk about something completely different mm. your musical theatre work so where and when did you start loving musical theatre I don't know if I did <laughs> <laughs> um uh <laughs> also we went, uh, we went to karaoke last night um and I uh m- murdered some Billy Ocean uh, which is why my voice is a little croaky, so it seems really silly talking about <laughs> my <laughs> illustrious musical theatre career with uh, when I've uh, so poorly performed on uh, on the the, uh, the the only stage in Adelaide I've performed on so far. Um, uh, but I kind of fell into it, really. I was always in bands when I was growing up, um, so I, my, my kind of career path was either going to be actor or singer in a band. I kind of kept both going for a while, and I write a lot of music for for theatre mm. now, and I write a lot of stuff for, for for film. I'm starting to write a lot of stuff for film, um, and I'd always approached it in a kind of and, and I could always sing, um, but I kind of always felt like I had my own style. Uh, and my voice didn't really fit into a musical theatre thing. Like, I always loved going to watch musicals, but I kind of listening to a proper trained voice was something that I was always like, oh, that's not something that's in my realm. 
But then when I was at school, we'd done... I think I'd just ignored it, maybe. We'd done... Uh, you, when I was in youth theatre, we did, like, Little Shop of Horrors, and then I did West Side Story at school. Um, uh, and so I was always asked to sing in mm. things. Um, but I went to a, a classical drama school. I went to um, RADA in London. And we didn't really focus on musical theatre at all. It was mainly on classical theatre. Uh, so we did a lot of Shakespeare. Um, which I love, um, which is kind of why I got into doing all of this, really. Um, and the musical theatre stuff was all always kind of a bit of a sideline. And then what's been great about um, about the way theatre has gone is that the, the, a lot of modern musicals, or a lot of kind of playwrights, have started putting music into straight plays and having a lot, not necessarily full musicals, but plays with songs, mm. with singer-songwriters and, and people coming in to write music that's more in my style. So the first thing I did professionally was a thing called Marine Parade with music by a guy called Mark Eitzel, who is a bit of a hero of mine, has become a dear friend, actually. Um, and he was, he was in a band called American Music Club um, in America, and they're great. He's just the most incredible lyricist. Um, and it's got this voice that just breaks your heart. He's, he's amazing. So I got to work with him on that and I got to meet some amazing people working on that. And so that was the first kind of taste of singing on stage mm. professionally in a musical setting that I'd had. And then, um, you know, I went off and did lots of theatre and, and uh, TV and, and bits and pieces and got an audition for once... Um, to replace uh, Steve Kazee uh, as the lead in that. And it was just a happy series of events that led to me getting the job. I could, it, it was, I was, I, it's one of the only, it's kind of rare, because you, you go for so many auditions and, and there's jobs that you really want and then you go, oh, well, you know, you kind of convince yourself that you haven't got it and to make it easier on on yourself when you don't get the job or so when you do get the job you're really surprised and you go oh well I never expected to get that great um, but when I went up for once I was like I want to do this and it just really sat in my I was going to say my comfort zone but it's kind of more like in my excitement zone I think the songs are amazing uh, and just getting the chance to play guitar and sing mm. on the stage with those songs and with, with those people uh, and working with, you know, John Tiffany, who I think is brilliant. And I'd, I'd seen, he directed a show called Black Watch um, uh, up in Scotland years ago, which was just the most amazing piece of theatre. So I'd, I've wanted to work with him uh, for a long time and Stephen Hoggart, who did the movement on it. Uh, and Glenn Hansard, who wrote the music. Uh, I've, I've been a fan of his for years. So... Um, it's one of the only auditions they've gone and just gone, I really want this job. Um, and I didn't play a call at all. And luckily they didn't see that as a negative thing uh, and gave me the job. And it was the most wonderful experience. Well, of course. I mean, it is. A also, sorry, that's the longest answer to any question I've ever given. It's, it's about you. Okay. It's a very difficult musical because obviously the cast are also the orchestra. Mm -hmm. Well, you, I mean, I could never do it because I can't play guitar as well right. as, as anyone I've seen do that show. Did that force you to hone those abilities even more so? Or you yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah, it forced me to be really disciplined with, uh, with my playing. Um, 
And also, like, there's a song that's in, totally in 5-4 time, which is really confusing, and, uh, like... Please? <clears throat> no, it's um, When Your Mind's Made Up, at the end of the first half. Um, and so we, we... Martin Lowe, I'm, the amazing Martin Lowe, who's the musical director, who's been at the helm of a number of fantastic uh, West End and international hits, uh, is also one of the nicest men in the world. Uh, he kind of drilled us in... in Getting our mind into five four time, which, uh, which was really tricky and really irritating, <laughs> uh, but we did it. But yeah, like one of the most incredible things about doing that show, both in New York and in London, was working with musicians, um, and it was a certain breed of actor musician. No one had any ego. Everyone was so brilliant at their instrument and like there's some people in the cast especially the 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 guys who were understudying who had to play they had to learn the guitar parts and drum parts for the I think there's one guy who had to play guitar bass drums violin accordion and mandolin like a ridiculous thing and learn everyone singing but and then like someone would be off on a show and he'd just step in and go right which one am I doing tonight and he'd just go in it like I had total respect for the for for those people I think they're just just brilliant. And I met some of my closest friends on that job now. Um, uh, this, uh, w- with special mention to um, Ben Hope, who is, uh, if you get the chance, look up Ben Hope. Uh, he's a country singer. And he was, he was actually, under, he was playing, um, we kind of shared the role. He, he was understudying and then he'd been, he'd been on uh, for a little while. And he's, he's, Wonderful, a wonderful, wonderful man from Birmingham, Alabama. But his songwriting is so good, uh, and I have no idea why he's not a massive international success. Maybe he will be uh, someday soon. But he, uh, he's great. If you get a, a chance to look up his music, I thoroughly recommend it. it sounds great. But speaking of complicated musicals, you just worked with Jason Robert Brown. Oh my God, it was amazing. Yes, and, I did. And here in Australia, at professional auditions, we are told not to bring Jason Robert Brown music. Why? Because it's too complicated for pianists. Yeah, it is. I can understand. But why? what do you think makes his music so complex? I mean, vocally and obviously musically. Um... Well, he's just re- he just writes really complicated <laughs> music. I think just to test people, um, it's so rich and brilliant. I mean, I I know bits of the last five years and, and other other musicals, but this is uh, so we d- we did a concert performance of uh, Honeymoon in Vegas, which I think is his like lightest show, um, and it's about it's based on based on a Nicolas Cage movie. I don't think there's many musicals based on <laughs> Nicolas Cage movies. Um, but uh, yeah, it's based on a Nicolas Cage and Sarah Jessica Parker movie called Honeymoon in Vegas uh, about a couple who go to get married in Vegas and then like it's kind of like he loses his fiance in a in a uh, in a in a car game uh, and then the the guy who he's lost her to takes her to Vegas uh, takes her to Hawaii and then he has to chase his fiance to Hawaii and then ends up winning her back by joining the flying Elvises and uh, parachuting down into back into Vegas. Really mad. Um, but Jason's score is just incredible. And what was so great about the uh, the piano part was was almost impossible. There's only a couple of pianists in England who he, I think he allows to play uh, his 
music, but the orchestra, it was the London Musical Theatre Orchestra. So they're a group of professional musicians who, they do this incredible thing. So they meet up every few, every month, I think it is, on a Sunday and just play through a musical for their own enjoyment. Um, and then this was one of their big kind of gala performances. It was you and Samantha Barks. Me and Samantha Barks, the, the amazing Samantha Barks. She's so good. Like, I've seen Samantha, I've seen Sam in, in things and gone, oh my God, she's amazing. But just being in a room with her, as she's just rehearsing. Um, and like Jason's very dry, so like she'd finish the song and he'd be like, oh, finally someone can sing one of my songs. Like, it, it, she's just, she's just incredible. Um, uh, so that was, I mean, it was terrifying. Yeah, it wasn't more terrifying with him being in the room while you're trying to sing his music. Yeah, I mean, and also like, <laughs> I, we, we'd rehearsed for a few days and the, the songs, I mean, luckily they're in my range. But as I said, I'm not a musical theatre singer. So I, uh, I, I'm like, I'm just going to act the hell out of these songs. Like, and I think some of the best musical theatre performances I've seen aren't the people who sing the sweetest or have mm. the best voice. It's about the emotion you put Well, in. it's about telling the story and it's, it's, it's about, you know, if that person's connecting with the material and bringing it to life and, and, telling, and telling the story. So, and the way Jason writes is all of the acting is, is kind of written into the song. If you just, if you just kind of believe what you're saying and, and, and sing it with conviction, you should be all right, really, if you, if you, you, know, if you put the work in. So we'd rehearsed it for a few days, and uh, there's a song called I Love Betsy, which opens the show, which I had to sing, and it was like a Wednesday morning, and Jason had, Jason had just flown in from New York, and he was like, right, okay, well, we're all going to get together and, and, you know, just sing through the song. It was like, first thing Wednesday morning, I was a little bit dazed, I just had a coffee, and he was like, right, do you want, do you want to sing it? I was like, yeah, yeah, cool, and I started singing, and I was like, what am I doing? What am I doing? I'm singing Jason Robert Brown's song for Jason Robert Brown, and I'm being terrible. And I just got really nervous. I was awful. I was really awful. Mm. And like I could, I could sense him just looking at me, going, "Who the hell is this guy?" Uh, I felt like I finished the song, and I felt like going, "I don't know. That's not how I'm going to sing it." I was just trying to get the notes, <laughs> um, but I didn't. But we like that. I felt like that was a bad introduction uh, for me and him, but. Uh, we ended up, we only worked with each other for a few days, but we ended up getting on really well. And I I just think it's a great musical. It's a really great, fun musical. And uh, like, to do it at the, the London Palladium, singing with an orchestra, with a 33-piece 30, orchestra, was just amazing. Jason conducted it and was very, very funny uh, conducting it. Um, and he ended, he played the ukulele halfway, turned around and played the ukulele for... Uh, for one of the songs and then in the finale kind of got up and did like some impro jazz piano solo uh, <laughs> which was great it was really great it was really good fun um, yeah it was really good fun so at this point what does the immediate future hold for you in your career? I don't really know uh, I don't know I'd like to do more music hmm. um well, you're composing for a film, I believe, uh, Been So Long, which was announced yeah. recently. Yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of an odd one. I'm really happy it's happening. It's from a musical that I wrote. So I, I, I kind of said I didn't really fall in love with musicals, but as soon as I left drama school, when I was at drama school, I met this guy 
uh, called Che Walker, who's a really incredible playwright. Uh, and we've become very, very good friends. Uh, I think he's amazing. He wrote, he's, he wrote this play called The Frontline, which I also wrote music for, but it was for The Globe, uh, for Shakespeare's Globe. And it was just the most brilliant play. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, he's really, really wonderful. So anyway, we met, we met at drama school. Um, and I grew up listening to a lot of funk and soul, and uh, my dad played in lots of reggae bands and stuff. Uh, and so I'd grown up with a lot of that music, and Che said, oh, I want you to write a funk soul musical with me. And he'd already got the play. Um, and so I wrote a load of songs for it. And it was, it was an amazing process, and we, we had a really great time doing it. It was the first thing I'd ever written for stage, so it was, uh, uh, it was an interesting process. And then we sold the film rights to it, and now it's being made into a film. And it's, uh, it's an amazing thing, but I'm, I'm not there Someone else is leading it. I'm not there, and it feels really odd. Hurt. It feels really odd to give it over. I've been around in some of the rehearsals and stuff, but it's kind of that thing we need to just kind of give it over. So I'm really excited to see how it turns out, and I'm going to be in the studio, kind of helping to produce the music for it as well, which is, which is good. Reassuring. But, yeah, which is good, but. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see how it turns out. We do have to let you go, unfortunately. But just quickly, what advice would you offer to anyone looking to work in the performance industry? Oh, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. To, just be good. To, be good? Be good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but don't worry. Too. I mean, yeah. Just, just be good. <laughs> well, thank you for your time yeah. today and enjoy Australia. Thank you very much. That was my chat with Arthur DeVille. And you can follow him on Twitter and Instagram. Now is my chat with Clive Stanton, who plays Rollo in Vikings, Season 4 Part 2, has just hit stores across Australia, and he's also the new Brian Mills in Taken, which is currently airing in America and is set to hit our screens on Foxtel later this year. So here's my chat with Clive. Enjoy! Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me today. Um, so what would, what would you say inspired you to pursue a career in the performing arts? Um, I think sometimes it's... Um... Sometimes there's a, there's a, there's an, there's, there can be an adult in your life that's not your parent that sees the, the star and the child. I mean, because there's no one really that artistic in my family. Mm. But my, my, one of my first teachers, my English literature teacher, Mr. Fraser, was probably the first influence. And then I had a, a teacher called Joe Drummond. And, 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 you know, sometimes they just push you in the right direction. And I think my personality, any time that I have positive reinforcement and encouragement and... I kind of get tunnel vision. I want to be the best at something, and I want to think that big takes over. The first part of my life, it was Muay Thai boxing, where I, I got the bug for that. And from the age of thirteen, and by fifteen, I was I was doing it every day of the week and teaching kids on Sundays. Um, and acting was no different. I think once I I, I started doing it, I went to the National Youth Theatre and the National Youth Music Theatre. Um, I did a play at Shakespeare's Globe with Eddie Redmayne. We were both eighteen. And I think that's that's about when I suddenly went, I want to do this for a career. Mm. And I went to drama school and trained for three years and, and then Bob's your uncle. And I kind of came out and started working professionally. So if you believe, obviously, that you, know, you, you want to be perfect at whatever you do, do you think training is crucial or can you learn from experience in doing jobs? Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, uh, I think you can learn on the job. I think I wouldn't have known what to do when I was um, when I was younger. Drama school was the best thing for me because in the third year, you, I wouldn't have known how to get an agent. That's the mm. thing. So you can learn on the job. So you can't really get a job until you've got a good agent. 
uh, and when you go to drama school in the third year you do play after play and, and agents come and see it so it kind of gets that side of it sorted hopefully for you um, but definitely you can learn on the job I'm, I'm more of a, uh, a big believer that you shouldn't act too early in life I'm not a big fan of child actors unless they've got amazing teachers because you know, my philosophy is life is interesting enough as it is you don't have to put a, a, a veneer of gloss on anything and if actors get into bad habits too early they can't shift them and if you get the wrong teacher as a child they almost tell you to kind of turn out to the audience and present everything and jazz hands and, and um, it's all, like all singing, all dancing. It's, it's the same as you ask a child, I've got three kids, you ask a kid to walk around the room copying somebody, they will undoubtedly put a bit of an exaggeration onto it just because that's the way they see um, the acting, they're performing, they're not being. Um, so you know, I got into it later on, I didn't do anything at all when I was younger. And so that's more of, I think it's important to actually get into it for the right reasons. I got into acting to draw attention away from myself, not towards myself. And I think it's a big difference between that type of person. You know, it's, it's it can start off as a desire to show off, yes, definitely. But I think after that, it has to change and it has to become about actually the human condition and kind of almost sometimes working through your own um, yeah, humanity. You've mentioned starting in theatre, and obviously theatre is a very different style of acting to film. Did you find that, or TV, did you find that transition difficult? Because obviously you've got to play things a lot bigger on stage when there's 4,000, 5,000 people in the audience as opposed to a camera there. Um, yeah, I think what's more interesting is the first thing, when you do theatre, the first thing that happens when the lights go down and the spotlight comes onto the stage and the actor slowly walks into the spotlight is everyone hushes and they all lean forward on their, on their chair. So with theatre, the actor has the audience from the very, very beginning mm. and they're there for the actor to lose and sometimes we do, you know, start shifting around in our seats and wonder why we've paid so much money for such a crap theatre show. And um, But with with cinema and, and on TV, if you're in your sofa, the first thing we do when the lights go down or we turn the lights off and, and we're watching it at home is we all lean back on our sofas or in our, our cinema chairs and we slouch backwards and we start eating popcorn. It's, very, it's a very different start to the process. You have to kind of win an audience over in a film or in a TV show, whereas you have them in a theatre show. That's what I've always found interesting, because you have, you know, they're not, they're not in, they're not in there with you. You've just got a camera, and, and you know, obviously you have to. There's about ninety percent of your brain has to pretend the camera's not there. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's the main difference. I, I never really think about making anything bigger on the theatre. I think I think obviously you project louder, you, you project and use your voice, but you never make anything bigger. I've noticed that some theatres in the UK have started banning food, and I think it goes towards that popcorn eating thing in, in films. Yeah. Do you agree that you know food should be outside of the theatre? I don't know. It's, it's it's a tough one, isn't it? Because part part of well, are, you, are you talking generally just about the theatre or is this cinema? Is this, it's the actual theatre as in... Well, I suppose that, you know, the theatre... Yeah, I, I, I used to work as an usher at the National Theatre when I was at drama school and I used to, couldn't stand it when people came in with all these crisp packets and wine gums and things it's like that. It's the worst thing in Shakespeare to hear yeah. But what's more, what's more annoying now is mobile phones. I think you should almost leave them at the door. Um, it makes me laugh in, in TV shows that they keep, they keep asking actors to live tweet all the time. Well, you live tweet through your show. You're like, no, I work really bloody hard on this show. I want people to watch it, not look at their phones and see what you know, gibberish I'm coming out with. Uh, but, it's, but you see that in the, in the cinemas and, and theatres that you see people just, they can't, they can't, not everybody, but some people cannot focus on a two-hour play or a two-hour film without checking their phone. And it's, it didn't used to be like that. 
Do you think it's changing the way that people are absorbing content in general? Like Netflix, you can almost double screen, really, to put Netflix there and Facebook there and scroll through. So do you think that TV has to accommodate that, in a sense, to be more visually gripping or action-packed? I don't. I'm a bit old school. I just think, well, well, I can't see how it benefits your enjoyment of losing yourself. To truly enjoy a drama or a comedy um, is, is either... You, you have to you have to lose yourself. You have to actually kind of almost zone everything out and concentrate. You have to go take be taken on a journey, and I can't see how you can do that if you keep getting reminded about getting pinged on, and 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 having tweets come up on your screen. If you if you're looking at two different screens at the same time, you're not truly engaging in the drama. So therefore, it can't really move you. Now it's speaking, just pulling yourself away from an equation all the time. Speaking of TV, Taken, the TV series, has recently started in America. Obviously, the film franchise was made famous probably by Liam Neeson. Was there any trepidation when you took that role of constant comparisons to him, even though you're playing a much younger version of the character? No, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a Liam Neeson impersonator. and I'm, I come from Northern Ireland. I come from just up away from him. I, took, I made a conscious decision not to do the Northern Irish um, accent in, in, in Taken. And it's just like, if you see Daniel Craig playing James Bond, he doesn't do a Sean Connery impression. Uh, Chris Pine, when you see him in Star Trek, doesn't deliver his lines like this, even though he's playing James T. Kirk. Um, he doesn't do a William Shatner. He, he makes it his own. And this is I've taken that character and we're rebooting it. And and also, what's interesting is I'm playing this character not in the same way as the as the, as the men I just mentioned, but I'm playing him at the beginning of his journey. So Liam plays a you know, grizzled retired CIA veteran. I'm playing him when he's just joined the CIA. So he's not the finished product. He's not going to be as grizzled. He's not going to be as gritty. He's not going to be as jaded and as, as dark. He's going to be a guy that trips and stumbles and falls and learns his craft on the way. I mean, definitely he has a he has the skill set. Um, you know, when when uh, Brian Mills in the film says about his particular set of skills, I think that he's talking about something in particular, which is one skill, which is forward momentum. Because anyone who works in the armed forces or within you know, the CIA and the black ops agency is going to—it's a prerequisite to be able to use guns mm. to to have uh, espionage skills, including wiretapping and and, and uh, that kind of technology. And you're going to have to have some kind of you know hand-to-hand combat. But the particular skill that you can't teach, which is what he's talking about, is a forward momentum. You know, when when bad stuff happens. Some people turn the other way and pretend it's not there. Some people freeze like a deer in headlights. Some people run away. Brian Mills goes forwards into the danger. It's almost like he's going into the cyclone. Um, Liam's character's already got a plan. He knows how to execute it, and he's you know, and, and it's and it's ruthless. Uh, the character I'm playing at the beginning of his journey has still got that thing you can't teach. He's going straight towards the the action danger, but he doesn't quite know what he's going to do when he gets there. But he just knows he has. Yeah. yeah, he knows he has to do something because he can't stand by and watch this happen. And that's what makes it interesting in a TV show, I think, because if someone's got a beginning, middle, and an end in a film, then you want the ba- you want the you know, the badass, ruthless guy just to just kick ass and take take names all the way through the film. Whereas in a TV show, that gets boring very quickly mm. if someone's Mister Perfect. And and what I love about the character is is he's not perfect. Absolutely. Know, I, I I I really try to humanize him in a way that is. I think you don't see very often in, a, in an action film. You know, James Bond is is not a real guy. He's he's immaculately dressed. He's suave, sophisticated. He's got the right thing to say to the girls, to get them into bed. He's got the he's got the you know the the, the cool one liner to kind of intimidate the the, the villain. 
Um, you know, Ethan Hunt, uh, Tom Cruise's character in Mission Impossible, has got all this technology that doesn't exist. It's not. He's not a real guy. Yeah. Um, it's pure escapism, and it's great. And I love James Bond. It's one of my favourite franchises. Um, but Brian is the kind of guy that can't hold his chopsticks properly. Absolutely. You know, he he spills food down himself. He's he works so hard at his job that he he has every intention of washing his clothes. But when he comes home, they've been in the washing machine for three days and they stink. Yeah, you know, and he can't. He hasn't the time to iron them. You know, he's he's not all well turned out. When he sees a woman he likes, because he likes her so much, a cat gets his tongue and doesn't know what to say, and he makes a bit of a buffoon of himself. He's a real guy, you know. Um, and I think that you know, just because it's an action franchise, it's that's it's what's what's wrong with having a guy that, that is all those things that I described. But also, when he picks up some guns, he's a complete and utter badass. Yeah, and then when he puts them down, he's just as embarrassed about who he became. Right? Yeah, um, he's he's also uh, there's always a flip side of the coin to someone who seemingly on the surface is heroic. And with Brian, I think it's because in the very first episode of the TV show. Um, my character loses his sister and that's not really a spoiler it happens in the first minute of the show and I think that's that's something that goes on I mean the, film, the, the, the show's called Taken I, I actually like to translate it as in something's taken from him not that someone gets kidnapped or taken every episode of a something's taken from him that he can never get back um, but every chance he gets to help someone every chance he's going forwards into that danger he's, he thinks that it's another chance to try and save his sister but we all know that he can never do that it's an unobtainable thing and it's he's he's a man that every flower he, he feels every flower he touches turns to a weed, and that makes him heroic because that makes him not value his own life or his own safety as much. He has very little regard for his own safety, which enables him to be able to just use himself as a wrecking ball to, to for the chance to protect others. Yeah, much That's more complex character. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, we have to let you go. But uh, thank you very much for your time today. And I should also mention that Viking season four part two is on DVD in Australia now. Yeah. Thanks for talking to me. Thank you. That was my chat with a very insightful Clive Standen. Now, a special thanks to Oz Comic Con for facilitating those interviews, and the convention is still running here in Adelaide tomorrow, April 2nd, and they've got cons all over Australia, so check out their website. The link is in the show notes. And when tweeting about this interview or Oz Comic Con in general, don't forget to use their hashtag, hashtag Oz And as always, don't forget to check out our fabulous supporters, Palace Nova Cinemas and Mad Zombie Collectibles, all of their information is available on the supporters section of the website. And you can also follow me on social media. At Twitter, I'm BenjaminMM underscore. And I'm also on Facebook, BenjaminMMK, and Instagram, BenjaminMM. Well, I've been your host for today. We'll be back later in April with another fantastic episode. And we'll see you then. Bye for now. <laughs>